Hello and welcome to Star Trek, a comic book review. Our continuing mission will be to explore and review all Star Trek comics released from 1967 to today. These stories were released in Gold Key Comics, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Malibu Comics, Wildstorm Comics, IDW Comics, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek Expanded Universe contains is copyrighted and trademarked by Paramount Pictures. All rights reserved. Welcome to Star Trek Comic Review with Ken and Donovan. Yes, this time I get top billing. Episode number four. Yes. Yes. So we're cool. going to do something a little different this time. Uh, we've The last three issues or episodes we've been reviewing the Gold Key comic book series that started off in 1967. Uh, Ken mentioned that uh, he was not uh, that uh, familiar with the other comic book companies that have produced Star Trek over the years, so we're going to kind of jump around here a little bit. Uh, the first company after Gold Key to start producing Star Trek comics was Marvel Comics, which started in 1980. The famous and well-known Marvel. Yeah, it was pretty, it's, it's number That's two. Big time, big time. Number one or two in the comic book biz, Who depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, with the motion picture coming out, uh, Marvel picked up the rights to go to uh, Star Trek and started publishing uh, comic books based solely off the movie. So, we'll talk about that later. So, what they did is for the first three issues, they um, they they, uh, they, they redid just, the original. They movie. just redid the original movie, the first uh, Star Trek the motion picture. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to give a synopsis of issue number one, two, and three all together, um, and then we'll kind of talk about each individual issue. Uh, since it is an adaptation of the movie, there's not going to be a lot to talk about. So just super high level, uh, the movie and the comic book starts off with the Klingons being attacked by V'ger. Then we get uh, Spock uh, getting, a, what is it, the, it's not Ponfar, and it's, I'm just drawing a blank. Colonar. Colonar, there you go. The, the attainment the purging, of Colonar. The purging of all uh, emotions. All right, then we get Kirk and Spock. Uh, Which he failed at, by the way. Well, he quit. Well, no, he, he said he's got too much emotion in him. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Kirk and company have to go uh, save the uh, the universe from V'ger, so they take off. Spock joins them. Uh, when they find V'ger, they're, they're probed. Uh, Ilya, I think that's her name, uh, is uh, uh, teleported or vaporized. Then Hot she comes. Yeah. Well, no, she's bald. Or ball chick. Yeah. Then she shows back up as an android. Then they all walk on the hull of the Enterprise into V'ger and come to find out V'ger is Voyager 9 or 6. I can't remember which one. Uh, and it just wanted to come find its maker, and the end. Yes. Exactly. So, so, the, uh, so the aliens that patched V'ger up in a super cool ship and sending it back was helping it to complete its mission, which was to go out, gather knowledge, and return to its maker. That's right. The reason why we're not going to very much detail on this is because if you're listening to this, you must like Star Trek, and I'm pretty sure you've probably seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this movie, uh, I don't want to say it, but it's probably my least favorite of all the Star Trek movies, so I have seen it the least. It's, it, it's, it's in the running with five. I actually like five better. Yeah. Well, I said it's in the running. Yeah. I didn't? Yeah. And, and you know, this, this was the start of a what was basically a new franchise. I mean, even though yeah. it had a TV series that ran three years, an animated TV series that lasted two years... It, it had been out of the limelight for a good 20 years yeah. before this movie came out. And 
Probably the only reason why it went to the movies instead of doing the Star Trek Phase 2 TV series was that Is? Star, da, Star da, Wars da, came out da, right before it. Da, 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 da. Yep, yep, yep. So what they did is they adapted the first couple of episodes of Star Trek Phase 2 and adapted it into this, uh, what ultimately became Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, you didn't know So that? they took the scripts. Yeah, they took the, the first couple scripts that was going to be the pilot mm-hmm. movie for, uh, for Star Trek Phase 2. Yeah. Uh, Spock was like the only crew member who wasn't going to come back, mm-hmm. so they wrote in this new uh, Klingon uh, second uh, officer slash science officer huh. who gets killed really quick in the, the right. teleporter accident, but he right. was supposed to be the Spock replacement <laughs> in the new TV series. But uh, even when they started doing the movie, Spock, um, Leonard Nimoy wasn't going to do it, and then and then he decided to do in. it, and, and they, they wrote him in. Another thing they did was, uh, in addition to doing it as the movie, they also, Paramount, tried to start up their own internal uh, special effects house. And that's part of the reason why this was such an expensive movie. Because they didn't do very well with that in-house uh, special effects unit. And then they had Industrial Light and Magic come and, exactly. and clean it up? Exactly. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's part of the reason why it was... Uh, it, it cost a lot of money to produce. That's why they... they, they the day it came out, commenters were saying, uh, even if it, even if it's successful in a lot of ticket sales, it's got an awful big cost to overcome. Hmm. So. Well, they had to completely rebuild everything. I mean, obviously, nothing was kept from the old show, no. so it was a brand new bridge. It, it was a brand new enterprise. Could you see if they tried to do a real uh, a movie, uh, a Hollywood movie, with those old cardboard sets? But. They, they moved the next generation sets into the, the motion pictures with generations. It, it kind of they looked, spent some money there. Yeah, they did, but you could kind of tell that it didn't that quite That whole look. next generation was pretty high production value. It was. All right, so let's just go real quick through the uh, issues. Um, in the first page of issue number one, when the Klingons are getting attacked by V'ger, uh it starts off with Bible verses, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So instead of getting the space, the final frontier, we get, in the beginning, there was darkness, um, which... I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, and then then God said, "Let there be light," and then it's almost like you see the entire Milky Way. But yeah, um, but what, what is that supposed to be anyway? I mean, is, is that supposed to be well? Okay, is that supposed to be V'ger like popping into oh, our quadrant oh, or something? No, I think it's just supposed to be really uh, uh, panned out, and then we're coming in closer to the galaxy, and then we eventually come in closer to the uh, V'ger attacking the Klingon warships. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, that, that that is interesting that they opened it that way. I just don't know what they mean by it. I mean, maybe your explanation is correct. Um, well, hmm. it's funny that I think Star Trek always wanted to do this really huge uh, uh, crane shot where right. it goes from uh, something really big to something really small. Right. Uh, and then uh, I don't know if that was their original plan for this movie and they just didn't do it because they didn't have the budget. But I know that in Star Trek V, uh, William Shatner wanted to do something where it shows him... Where it panned in from like the universe to Earth, then to that uh, that mountain, and then him climbing up it. The Capitan. Which it didn't quite. They didn't do that in the movie. Obviously, that would have been too expensive. But then they then Jonathan Frakes did do it with uh, uh, First Contact. Oh right. Where he had it going through the Borg, uh, sure. way out there through the Borg. No, no, no. It started off on Picard's eye and panned all the way out through the Borg ship, and then all the way right. up. Right. Right. So I know that when, when he was able to do that, they made reference that that's something that they've been wanting to do for a long time, but oh. never had the budget to do it. Oh, cool. 
So I don't know if that was was something they even had an idea of back in 79 or not. I don't know. Uh, You notice that these Klingons, uh, that guy does not look like uh, Spock's dad. But in the movie, uh, the main Klingon is Mark Leonard, who plays Spock's dad. Oh! Yeah. I didn't didn't know that. He's like one of the only actors to play uh, all three species. He played Vulcan, Mm -hmm. Romulan, and uh, Klingon. Yeah. There you go. It was great that they could get him in there. Yeah. But I don't know why they couldn't bring him in as Spock's dad when, when Spock's on, on Vulcan. Yeah, it'd be good if he was like uh, at least there in the background or something. Yeah. Why is it that in this movie and also in the new movie, uh, Klingons are the first one to encounter the, the, bag, the, the entity the and then they just get blown up or, yeah. or uh, digitized or whatever happens to sure. these guys? Now, I will just point out that the first one, uh, Kelvin, is the first one that encountered uh, uh, that's true. Nero. That's but true. And, and we never we don't see the Klingon thing. I mean, we hear about it through Uhura, right, uh, right? Describing it, but there was a whole big section of Klingon stuff that they did not include in the final cut of uh, Star Trek Eleven. That's true, and it's not in the novel either, which I was uh, I was looking forward to reading that. Yeah, bit. there were other things that were in the audiobook or the novel that they um, not much that they it, did put it was, in. It was pretty, but they didn't do they didn't do that. Yeah. All right, that was a different movie. So we're talking about Star Trek One here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like it when uh, Kirk and uh, Scotty are coming up to the Enterprise for the first time. Uh, they are able to go from space talk to the Enterprise in about three or four panels. Hmm. Where in the movie it takes like five or ten minutes. Yeah, so they 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 definitely made some things go faster. Yeah, and like we had mentioned a little bit earlier off air, um, you know, some things work in a movie may not work as well in a comic book, in a static comic book. And I actually take the opposite approach. I thought that it worked better here in the comic book than it did in the movie. What, the little quick panel thing? Right. Or do you think... With the comic book, you can look at at that Enterprise as long as you want to. I don't have to turn that page until I'm finished uh, gawking at the whole ship. Where in the movie, they had to actually pan around to show it to you, and they had to spend all this time because you couldn't just pause it. Right, but the thing is, you can only see this from one angle. But I guess what I'm saying is, in the video, uh, going around the ship like that and having the Kirk music. all all dopey-eyed, like, oh, I, I return to you, my love. Um, you know, that works fine. But in a, in a comic book, I mean, what are they going to... That would take, like, how many pages to, to illustrate and, all that and out? They don't need to, because exactly. I, I don't know to. if they needed it in the movie. No, I, you know... <laughs> There, there's a fundamental relationship between Kirk and the Enterprise they had to get across. I understand. I, I kind of like it. I understand. And they, I liked it enough, apparently other people liked it enough, that they did it in Star Trek Eleven. Not as bad. Not as bad. But still, you still had that scene yeah. when the when the characters first see the new Enterprise, like, ooh. And when the music swells up, I cry like a baby every time, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, and they did it. They did it in Next Generation when Yar's driving Picard around the ship, and you see the Galaxy Class <coughs> Enterprise D for the first time. Right. And then you also got it again in Enterprise where uh, Tucker is flying around uh, uh, Archer mm-hmm. around the Enterprise, and then yeah. they actually kind of they make a little joke because as they're looking at the hull and stuff, uh, Tucker actually grazes the ship. And then, and then Archer says something about he's going to have to pay for the paint or something mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, they've obviously done it many times, and, and it is cool to see the ship sure. for the first time, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a limit on how much you need to see it. 
before you wanted to see it in action like you did in the, in the new movie. Yeah, but you saw it multiple times, quite stationary. Yeah. Before you saw it in action. That's true. And you got to see it in pieces, too. Exactly. All Which right. I also think it's kind of dumb to be building a ship like that on the ground. I mean, I thought I thought they assembled that, well... On Jupiter Station. That's what that's what they say in the in the. I thought the they did in TV space. Show. Yeah, on Jupiter yeah. Station or something like that. Yeah, but di- didn't didn't the uh, ship plaque, which you don't you almost never saw it, but didn't it say something about assembling the San Francisco shipyards or something oh, like that? Oh, does it? I don't know. I thought it said something like that. Uh, it might. Whatever. It's Maybe Jupiter Station was something completely show. different. Whatever. All right. Uh, Could I make a general comment, please? This new series by Marvel. Oh yeah, that's it right. is like light years ahead of the Gold Key comics. No, it's actually only twenty years. Light years ahead in the quality of the writing. Of course, mind you, this is just an adaptation, so at least we don't have any Voodoo Planet things or you know, not yet. huge cannibal um, plants. Plants or you know. It's kind of dumb stuff. But, so, uh, you know, obviously the people... Well, as we'll see in 4 and 5, where we actually get into some some original stuff, right. uh, uh, comic 4 and 5, we'll see that they are... Um, I mean, the people that are writing this have some experience with yeah. uh, the Star Trek franchise. They know something about it. They're not just going off and doing some weird stuff that is totally inconsistent with what has gone before. Right. So, I mean, we read the Gold Key, or we read a good chunk of it, and... It, Obviously, I can kind of forgive them the first couple issues that maybe they didn't quite know the story as well because right. comic books take a long time to make. The first issue came out mid-second season, so maybe they didn't have all the references they needed before they started making it. But that series lasted for 61 issues. Yeah. It went on way after the TV show and the ca- uh, cartoon series was, was over for years and years and years. Yeah. But they always c- were consistent with what they thought the Enterprise looked like and with what they thought these people who these people were yeah so no i do like that this one's more in line with what the movie uh gave us as being this is the new star trek these are who these people are and this mm-hmm. is what everything looks like yeah i agree with you but you also got to consider this was made 20 years later sure comic book uh were were probably being written more for adults than than they were in the beginning in fact all throughout this they keep advertising epic the Marvel line Epic, and that was a uh, their their first attempt at some uh, adult quote unquote adult uh, uh, comic books. Cool. So I mean, obviously, even here in the early '80s, that was already kind of becoming the trend that you know comic books aren't just for little kids. Exactly. Okay. All right. So uh, real quick, there I like the the costumes that uh, Kirk and company wear in this new movie. Uh, I really like them here in the comic book. Where in the movie, I always thought they looked like pajamas. <laughs> but here in the comic book, I don't know what it is, but it it actually looks kind of cool. And with the what is it the tricorder? I don't know what that belt buckle is, but it, it actually oh, looks yeah, kind of cool. Oh yeah, the belly button thing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in the movie, I always thought it looked kind of dated. And the tricorder or the communicator being on the wrist, I really like that idea. I think that's much well, more practical than the flip phone that we get oh, later. Much more. Much but, more. Uh, um, and. Uh, what do you think about the the wrist phone as opposed to the next generation com badge? Next generation com badge is obviously better because it's actually on your chest. Exactly. But uh, yeah. but I mean, obviously they were getting there. Yeah, they're getting it's there. at least a part of their uniform now yeah. instead of some piece of uh, 
equipment that they can drop. Yeah. As I recall, that belly button thing was supposed to be some kind of a life support. Monit- not, I, I don't think... I had read when the movie came out because I was like really stoked when this movie came out. I read a lot of stuff. Uh, and that that's like that belly button thing is supposed to be some kind of monitor and stuff. So mm. it feeds back into the ship uh, your status well, and where you cool. are and that kind of stuff. That's cool. So it has some of the functionality that the com badges eventually did to know where you are in the ship and that kind of stuff. See, that's that's good. Why did they get rid of it before the Rathacon came out? I don't know. It's not cool enough. Because I do like the Rathacon uh, uniforms. Oh, Rathacon Th- those uniforms are probably uniforms. one of my favorite of all the Star exactly. Trek uniforms. Yep. And I like the belt buckle with the the, the Enterprise logo. Yeah. Uh, obviously, at this point, when Star Trek: The Motion Picture came out, all of Starfleet is now using the uh, next or the Star the Enterprise logo as their uh, suit logo or what so, is. So, so, so the little swoopy thing that we all know and love as the Star Trek emblem that was specific to the Enterprise was, as opposed to other ships. Yeah, that was I didn't like know that. that was like their mission badge. You know how ah. like. Uh, in the 60s and the, and and even probably well, NASA. now, even, yeah, NASA always every has ship, different badges. Every mission has a different yeah, uh, patch. Exactly. Right. So what that little triangle was in the original series was the mission badge for the Enterprise, their five-year mission. Oh, so yeah. that's why when they went to Starbase, whatever, whatever, that they, they people would have different badges on. Yeah. And even in uh, Enterprise, when uh, they they got a hold of the Defiant from the future. Uh huh. It had the Defiant badge, not the normal uh, triangle that like Enterprise would have. Wow, I got to change. I got to watch that again. Yeah, that's cool. It's a it's a pretty that's a good episode. I really like it. Yeah, I know you. Uh, you reminded me of how good it was, <laughs> so I took a look again, and I agree. All right, um, when Ilya and Decker meet for the first time, um, which we find out is not the first time. Right, but when they meet up for the first time in the comic or in the movie, they kind of talk telepathically a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't remember that being in the comic. Uh, comic, it looks like they just speak. Um, but what does that uh, psychic communication remind you of when somebody first meets somebody on Star Trek? Well, with the Troy stuff, or what? Yeah, with the Troy. Like, the only time Troy well, and Riker ever talk telepathically is in the very first episode, well, and it's almost word-for-word well, this well, exact situation. Well, isn't isn't Elia and Decker completely... A few things changed. Isn't it completely Riker and Troy? Absolutely. Completely. That's, that's what I'm getting it's at. It's the same ideas over and over again. <laughs> it's like, we never really got to flesh out this Elia and Decker thing for mm-hmm. the movie, which would have... Which would have probably played out in the Star Trek Phase 2 TV mm-hmm. show. Yeah. But because that never came out and they went a completely different direction with Wrath uh, of And Decker was off with her on V'ger or whatever. Sure. So I'm assuming they probably had some story ideas that they wanted to play with. Right. And so they moved it over to Next Generation. I thought it really worked. I like it here too. But I do just think uh, it's funny that it's almost word for word yeah. what they say to each other. I, I do like the idea of having a, uh, a second in command. Uh, a strong character uh, like Decker, like Riker, who's not necessarily uh, has a different job. I mean, it's another right. command guy who is a strong character. It's like, well, every time every time Kirk goes off the ship, you know, it's everybody else rotates. It's yep. like Scotty, it's Sulu, it's you know whoever. I like the idea of having a second in command who's there always uh, for the captain. Right. Or could be the captain. Which is really the captain. I mean, Decker is the captain of the Enterprise. Exactly. He's not first officer. So right. when Kirk comes in as Admiral... But he becomes first officer. Because he's demoted. Kirk, Kirk's still... At, is he demoted? Well, okay, I, I think he's still a captain, but he's... Uh, Decker. 
Yeah, Decker. But I think he's performing the first officer role. He is performing the role, but right. he should still be... He, they still call him Captain Decker, don't they? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember that in the movie. But I, I don't either, but I'm just past assuming... The be- past the very beginning. Yeah. All right. But I must say, um, though I was so excited to see the movie... Um, and I did go and see it several times in the theater. Uh, really, I have not watched it that often since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now it's not. It's not it, it, yeah, I just I'm just not digging on this particular one as much as uh, all the others. Right. I, I like the movie. Uh, I don't think it's horrible, but it, like I said, it's my least favorite out of yeah. the eleven movies. Right. Um, and you notice that when all these came out on DVD, it was the only one that got the special edition uh, treatment, kind of like how Star Wars 4, 5, and 6 got special edition treatment mm-hmm. when they got released again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they re-released these on DVD for the first time, the motion picture got a special edition. And you know what was so special about it? What? It was shorter. <laughs> they, they, so they re-edited it. They re-edited it. They, they took out some of the uh, kind of long sequences where all it is Towards showing the, the, the ship or showing yeah. something. And... Uh, and they they did some special effects. They redid some of the special effects. But it's like one of the only special editions that's actually shorter than what the theatrical release was. Because <laughs> it was long. Uh, and you know what's funny is the guy who directed it, uh, directed a movie. Robert Weiss. Yeah, he directed like Sound of Music and these. Yeah, but, but what else did he record? What else did he do that is an absolute classic, one of my all-time favorite movies? It wasn't science fiction. Oh, it was. It was. Oh, it was. I thought Star Trek was like his first and only star, uh, science fiction movie. Oh, no. Huh. What is it? Forbidden Planets. <laughs> Forbidden Planets. Leslie Nielsen at his best. All right. Sorry to interrupt, but you just heard Ken announce that uh, Forbidden Planet was directed by Robert Wise. Uh, that's actually incorrect. Robert Wise uh, did not direct that. It was a person by the name of Fred Wilcox. Uh, in 1956, um, Robert Wise did direct *Sound of Music*, *West Side Story*, and *The Day the Earth Stood Still*, which is what Ken was misremembering. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave in our conversation because it's kind of funny knowing that how wrong we are. Uh, but just wanted to let you know. Hope you enjoy it. Leslie Nielsen was kickass, and and who does Leslie Nielsen in *Forbidden Planet* remind you of? Kirk, I guess. Oh yeah. And what about his uh, his doctor on the ship? I don't remember. I've only seen that once. <sighs> what? <laughs> what? Oh god. Okay. So the main the main characters you got three of them. You got the captain Leslie Nielsen. You got the doctor. I forgot that actor's name, but I've seen him in tons of other things. Uh, and he's a strong character too. And then you got like the first first officer. You're not going to count Robbie the robot. No. He was like the big draw, though. Everybody went I'm to sure, see it for him. I, I, I'm sure he was a big draw because he had a lot of personality. But um, from the ship standpoint, um, you know, the big three main characters. There were other characters, too, but those were the big three. Um, and, of course, they're flying around in a spaceship. Um, they check in on, um, on colonists right. and science research places. I'm just saying. Well, they're not boldly going where no man has gone before. They're they, just going they don't to places say that, where people were dropped off before. That was only that was we only saw one mission. <laughs> no, but I, I will. I mean, love Star Trek, love it. But it is a amalgamation of Forbidden Planet and what other one? Star Trek was what? An amal- Lost in space? No, no, no. Good God, no. <laughs> um, 
an amalgamate. Well, it's an amalgamation of many things, but um, Forbidden Planet. And oh, Wagon Train. Uh, or are you talking about other science fiction? Stuff? Other science fiction movies. It goes back further in time, but then, then okay, uh, things to come. I've never seen or heard oh. that one. Oh man, you okay? I'll bring you the DVD. Things to come. Uh, so the whole the whole premise of things to come. I'll just try to do this quickly because uh, you know obviously we're on the. Yeah, clock. this was supposed to be the short one. <laughs> I know, but things to come. Uh, the whole idea is the planet uh, is in war, uh, Earth war. Um, they blow themselves back into the Stone Age, and you see a lot of a lot of uh, the story takes place with this semi-primitive feudal society, almost kind of thing, and then they are contacted by. Uh, a man who is from a more advanced uh, colony or whatever, and it turns out these guys are are basically uh, the folks that that kept uh, science alive, and they have uh, resources, and they've got flying ships, and basically they're taking over the planet again. And uh, the movie ends where they're starting to voyage out into the stars. So. You know, that is almost what we had uh, with uh, the Federation history, hmm. where Earth almost blew itself up, uh, discovered warp drive, and had a wonderful new uh, future in the stars. So, oh, that's interesting. Saying. And then, of course, I know there's some wagon train in there, too, but I never really saw that TV show. I never did either. So but I you, digress. You, you like the, uh, the two-page two spread it. when the Enterprise first takes off? That is great. It uh, is It awesome. looks very good. Now... Uh, and we don't have rocket blasts coming out of There's the engineering no, session. No fire section. coming out of the ship at all. And it looks—it's—it's it's really, it's a really good, it's ni- a nice really piece nice of, uh, two-page spread yeah. of the Enterprise just blasting out of space dock or whatever. Yeah. No, that's good. And then after they blast off, they go into the wormhole thing that we've all seen in the movie, right? Which is probably my least favorite. One of my least favorite parts of the movie, just yeah. because it made no sense and why they're it, all moving so slow. It was manufactured. Slow. But in the in the comic book here, when I read it, I was like, "Well, that actually makes sense." Where I never really understood what exactly was the problem because they say in the movie the problem was that they went into warp drive while they were still inside the solar system. But they do that all the time in yeah. the TV show and in the yep. future movies. Yep. You see the Enterprise uh, start leaving the planet, and as soon as it gets a little bit away, it just blasts off. Yeah. So. Watching this as a little kid, you know, and I was already exposed to uh, the later movies by the time I started, you know, got around to watching this. Sure. Uh, I was like, I've seen them do this before. They, they always just blast off. Exactly. Why is it suddenly causing a wormhole? Yeah. Which doesn't make sense to me why it's a wormhole because wormhole is like inside of a, some sort of other anomaly, like a black hole or something like that. Yeah. So why is it? And so when I was a kid, I always thought it was that uh, piece of rock or something. Oh. Uh, that was causing the wormhole, but oh. then when I'm reading the comic, I'm like, "Oh no, oh, it's it just, just happened to be it there. just happens to be there too." And there's none of that weird special effects stuff. So I really liked it. Uh, Marv Wolfman is the guy who uh, adapted this. He's a really big name in comic books, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he did a really good job with making the story work in the comic books. And in a lot of ways, I like it better here in the comic than I did cool. actually. There in the you movie. go. They did something better uh, because it was it, the, the movie had its flaws. Yep. But I will say I like Spock's outfit. The black one? The black one, yes. Yeah. Very cool. Like I said, I really like the way they uh, they do the, the costumes here yeah. in the comic. 
Although and, the black and, one it was cool in the movie too. Well, yeah, I, I think it's the same costume with the Vulcan symbols on it. I think, yeah. Well, these are the same but, costumes too, but they look better on the page than I thought they did on the actors. Well, exactly. I mean, that that's that's a pretty cool looking outfit. Well, obviously, when uh, when you're drawing a picture, you can make the person look as flattering as you can. Where oh, in the movie, yeah. you don't have that luxury. There you go. All right. So uh, when, on the first page of the uh, second issue, we have. Uh, Kirk looking back and all surprised that Spock just showed up. Uh, he looks like a wolf man in the picture. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, which is funny because the, like I said, the writer, his name is Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then I don't know why I just look at that picture of Kirk and I'm like, he looks like a wolf man. He looks like the uh, old Universal Wolf Man from the the fifties or whatever. Uh huh. <laughs> I just yeah. think it's funny. All right, so don't really have a lot to talk about they, when they find Voyager, or excuse me, V'ger, and they actually go inside the the pulsating orifice or whatever. Um, pulsating orifice. Well, what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Spock jumps out in his little environmental suit and, and jets over there to mind meld. Mind meld. Um, now, I must say. <laughs> he's mind melded with a rock. He's mind melded. <laughs> The boy mind melds with anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Something that's kind of throughout all these comic books is, and I find it funny only because, you know, we're in 19, or in 2009, mm. but all of the O.J. Simpson ads, I mean, he's pimping out boots, he's oh, pimping yeah. out shoes. The juice says. I mean, he's all over these comic books advertising something. Yeah, so this is Spot Bit? Spot Bit. Uh, they're like sneakers. They have cleats or on Or Spot them. Built. Oh, Sorry. yeah, Built. But uh, I just think it's funny. And then he's in a boot ad in, in one of the other issues. Mm. And I think he might even be in one of, the, like, the food ads or something. Which I know at the time, you know, he, he was a huge sports star. Oh, sure. He was the, you know, the Michael Jordan of the time. Of the time. Mm-hmm. Or the Tiger Woods. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it's just funny now because he's had all the legal problems and right. uh, the may or may not have killed his wife, blah, 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 blah. That uh, It's just funny looking back at it going... All these little kids looked up to this guy. Yeah. I mean, he really was a, a huge, huge uh, hero of theirs. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the third issue, when when uh, it looks like somebody else comes out, uh, I guess it's Kirk in an environmental suit too, and they get attacked by this like crystal thing. Yeah, just, I don't remember that. No, in that the wasn't movie. in the movie. Okay, nah, 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 so nah. I meant to watch the movie before we did this podcast, but I didn't have time. But I'm like reading that, going, that didn't happen. <laughs> All right, and then when they actually see all the digitized ships and stuff, um, it looks kind of like a, it's like an architect sketch that would be in a computer or mm-hmm. something. It, I don't remember it looking like that in the movie. I thought it just looked like the ships and the planets and stuff out yeah. inside. Yeah, it did. All right, uh, speeding along, they uh, find out that V'ger is Voyager Six. I was right the first time, and then they, uh, that's it. Decker decides to stay with her because she was searching, she being V'ger, was just searching for her maker, which is man, and he still loves the girl she's pretending like to be. She's a woman, kind of, a robot woman, whatever. Yeah. Also, and I think it was issue number two, to go back a little bit, she, like, is being monitored by McCoy, and then she just, like, Breaks out of the sick bay and there's like glass shattering everywhere. Uh, let's find where it is. Um, I don't remember that in the movie. Uh, uh, no, I don't think that. Okay, was. okay. All right, and that's it for uh, the two, the three issues. Um, 
coincidentally, these three issues uh, started off as one book. But when the movie actually came out, Marvel released uh, all three, like a, mo- a movie special, Star mm-hmm. Trek The Motion Picture. And it was, you know, one gigantic comic book. Uh, and then when they started the monthly series, they just took those three, those that big issue Break and kind of turned it into three issues to, I guess, uh, uh, you know, somebody who missed that comic could now uh, buy the individual comics and still get the whole story. Oh, that's a nice way to look at it. Another way to look at it is they took the same media, cut it up, and resold it to everybody. But when you were a kid, could you buy... You might not be able to get two dollars or whatever together to yeah, buy I, the, uh, the or three dollars, whatever it possible. was, to buy the big comic book. Very reasonable forty but cent price. You can price. buy your forty cent comic over over the course of three months. Exactly, it's almost like layaway. Yeah, and you actually get a piece of it up front. Yeah, and you get to read it, and then you get to spend a month wondering, I wonder how this happens because I haven't watched the movie yet. <laughs> I do remember when this movie came out. I was really young when this movie came out, probably mm-hmm. like four. Yeah. Uh, I do remember it coming out only because I remember they had McDonald Happy Meals. And I ah. remember getting like this this little, uh, it was like a plastic uh, wristband that was supposed to be the communicator. I didn't know what it was. I, <laughs> it just looked cool. I was a really huge fan of Star Wars uh, that came out a few years earlier. So I was just like, Star Wars is awesome. This is kind of like Star Wars. That was my biggest uh, memory of this movie coming out. Uh, yeah, you were pretty young. Yeah. So, anyways, alright, so now let's move on to the first original Marvel story, issue number four. So, before we start talking about, uh, or before you give us a synopsis of uh, issue number four, I wanted to bring up uh, the V, what, who modified V'ger. Exactly. Because V'ger was a simple craft when it left the solar system. Yep. How did it get It probably all, had a little powerful. record player saying, we are from Earth, you know, like exactly. he's on Starman. Right. right. But... The, the species that uh, that fixed it up was the Borg. Yeah, that's a theory. It's not only a theory, but... So Roddenberry said Roddenberry, that? Roddenberry, as a kind of throwaway comment, said when he introduced the Borg in The Next Generation, mm-hmm. he kind of said, oh, yeah, those are the guys who fi- uh, did that to V'ger. And so since then, they, those kind of been in the... Uh, back of everybody's mind. Was it really the Borg? Yeah. But what's funny is that... Um, after Enterprise was canceled, they came out with a uh, video game. I think it was called Star Trek Legends or Le- Legacy or something like mm-hmm. that. And it was the first video game or the first anything that featured all captains of all uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek uh, franchises. franchises. And the overarching story of this was a Vulcan at, at Archer's time kind of went rogue and ends up joining with the Borg, um, you know, Later on, she joins with the Borg and, and, and causes Picard and Janeway and everybody a hard time because, you know, the Borg obviously linked Picard and Janeway through their transwarp thing. <laughs> but um, one of the subplots of that comic or that uh, video game series was that the Borg were uh, a Borg did assemble V'ger. Hmm. So that's, I mean, how much, how much, you know, how canonical is a video game versus, you know, something that was actually on screen or, or yeah. on the tube. Right, right. But, uh, you know, that's that's a legitimate it's source. It's, it's a legitimate it's, source. It's interesting. I, I don't know. It's interesting. And the other kind of uh, throwaway line that I always remember when I think about Star Trek, the motion picture, is um, when the Klingons are on the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And people scratching their heads. 
Those are Klingons? They don't look anything like Klingons yeah. in the show. And Roddenberry made like some offhand comment. Oh, these Klingons are from the north. We've only seen Klingons from the south. <laughs> and that was all he said. That was it. That's, right. that's the explanation as to why Klingons before the movie uh, didn't have ridges, yeah. which I always thought was kind of funny. Yeah. And then, of course, let's not go into it, but uh, through several TV series, including Enterprise, they explained about the ridges. Which I do not want to go into. That is too complex. We got to get done. But it's great though. Get through this one. It 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 is. It's oh yeah. Right. And somehow data is involved. Okay, so uh, issue number four, the haunting of Phallus. And yes, I did say Phallus or Talus if you want to. If they just well, it. if it's like t- the Thames River, yeah, uh, you could pronounce it Talus. You could uh, the haunting of Talus, uh, which. Was ringing a bell in both of our minds as we as we read this, uh, because of course, as you may recall, the famous Talus Four is a is a planet in the Star Trek history in the original series that that was in two episodes, three if you want to count it right as the two parter. So I was counting the Cage and Menagerie, okay. but you're counting Cage, Menagerie One, yeah. Menagerie Two because they were three episodes. You're right, it was, but. But what? Okay, so uh, completely off subject. But yeah. when we get there, one of my all-time favorite comic book uh, issues yeah. is uh, it's it's an annual that DC Comics did uh, called uh, the Last Mission, mm-hmm. and it's basically the Enterprise from the old show coming in to get ready for its uh, refit, yeah. and Kirk's about to get promoted and all that stuff. But uh, and it's got and it has Decker in it. Yeah. He meets Decker again for the first time, and then you kind of remember, oh, Decker, you're uh, Matt Decker's son sure. from the old show. Um, so you had that kind of, and you had Decker in like the new uniform, and you had Kirk in the traditional gold uniform. Right, right. But anyways, uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is that they go back to Thalus Four for their final mission. So I always thought I always loved that comic because it kind of tied in the old show with the new show and then also the original the cage episode right. it was just like this is just this has it all this is a great issue so, <laughs> it, obviously the writer knew a lot about the star trek yeah, uh, and it, and it was world. it was really good so we'll okay. get there one of these days but okay. we're, we're get us started Ken. we're going to move on with the haunting of phallus so this was an interesting one um, it, it's kind of a um, Halloween kind of one in some ways because it has a spooky things it has a, a haunted mansion on the uh, on the page uh, the, the splash, the, page, the splash the page, page and uh, definitely has a lot of ghosts and ghouls and things like that so uh, we'll, we'll get into what this reminded me of when I began reading it but let's go ahead and do the synopsis okay so we just talked about the teaser page uh, where you actually have the Enterprise coming upon um, what appears to be a haunted mansion, complete with uh, creaky gates, and the whole thing reminds me a little bit of the uh, Disneyland ride. And it's in space, just floating in, in space. Floating in space. Very odd. Very <laughs> odd. Um, so uh, so uh, the, it goes ahead, and we uh, open up to see Kirk in some very nice quarters, quite frankly. Uh, very spacious quarters um, where we see uh, several interesting ships uh, in. And this is, uh, at first I thought it was a ship, but no, it's not the ship. It's actually, they are in, uh, they're on, they're on, uh, uh, on Earth. So, um, Kirk's being briefed 
that he's going to go ahead and have to turn the Enterprise into a prison ship to transport a um, a very bad prisoner from uh, from Earth to the planet Thallus. So uh, uh, Kirk is there with uh, with a uh, admiral finding out what the what the mission is. Uh, Kirk's objecting to having to be uh, a prison ship, and we are introduced at the first time to a new alien um, who is a member of the Federation and the uh, the alien race that wants to transport this uh, this guy. So the prisoner's name is Raitas Migora, which is almost Irish, Migora, and then the uh, ambassador from the uh, from the planet re, uh, re, uh, asking for the transfer uh, Arkigi R-K-G-G yes. exactly no vowels no he's so, an alien they don't use vowels Arkigi <laughs> would you say yeah. it's Arkigi I don't know would you, how would you pronounce it I wouldn't pronounce it a, a lot of these names like the name Arkugu. of the planet itself maybe don't warrant themselves to actually pronouncing out loud so okay. they, when you're writing a comic book you can just give it any kind of name and you don't have you to can. worry about the actor exactly. trying to say it because nobody's going to actually say it, except exactly. for somebody on a commentary on a podcast, show like this. You know, twenty years later. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, let's cut. Uh, it goes the the uh, story goes forward, and we see on the uh, teleporter pad uh, inside of the Enterprise, we see that uh, the prisoner being transferred onto the Enterprise, and uh, unfortunately, the uh, the prisoner is somehow able to break out of the confines that they had him in when they transported him aboard. Uh, he ends up uh, killing a security guard and running free on the ship. And we'll talk more about it, but it's interesting that um, it appears as if it is uh, uh, Yeoman Rand, who is no longer Yeoman, but now Chief, Chief Rand, who is doing a little uh, special guest star role. So it's nice to see uh, another character from the past. Okay, so uh, Kirk leave uh, leave the bridge to go ahead and join the fight. Uh, Kirk shoots the phaser uh, from the from the alien's hands, and then ends up getting hit by the alien's tail. Uh, and actually, calling him alien is quite appropriate, as we'll discuss, because of how he looks very alien esque. He is drawn very alien esque. Um, so uh, to get uh, basically the. Uh, the escape prisoner is trying to hide inside the ship because he really does not want to go to, to Thallus. And they end up, uh, through Spock's cleverness, ends up um, subduing him with a nerve pinch when Scotty goes ahead and slows him down a bit with sonic sound waves. Okay, so um, en route, the Enterprise receives new coordinates to drop the prisoner off at, which seems rather odd. So they do it anyway, though. Um... Uh, also, we are, are shown that there are odd things going on in the Enterprise. Uh, there are a couple romantically oriented uh, ensigns who, in the middle of um, you know talking to each other, uh, are uh, attacked by a ghost. And actually, it's a ghost, as I recall, that looks kind of like a werewolf or something. So, obviously, odd things are going on that you never saw before. Um, Okay, so as Kirk is being briefed on the visions that are popping up on the ship, Dracula appears on the bridge. Now, I will say this is getting a little ridiculous here a little bit, but that's okay. Go with it. It's Star Trek. You'll love it. Okay, so Dracula appears on the bridge and says that it is all his doing. Uh, They try to attack him with phasers, and it does not affect him, and then he transforms into a bat 
and then missed, and then flies off into the into the turbo lift. Uh, Kirk and Spock track down Dracula from the bridge and find the ambassador was killed, apparently by Dracula, with punctures on his neck. Because apparently alien blood is just as good as human blood in this particular instance. It's all good, sir. It's all good. It's all good. They continue to follow the course uh, the Telosians have given them, uh, and they come to a huge haunted house in space. So we see for the first time the haunted house shown on the splash page. Uh, they go to ask uh, Megora, Megora some questions. He warns them that they oh, are... Oh, hold on. That's not Megora. That should be the, the prisoner, right? Yeah. No, no, no. The prisoner is Megora. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got him the, confused. Yeah, the ambassador is dead at this point. Okay, they go to ask him some questions. He warns them that they are the Thelosian prisoners, that they are... Oh, that they are the, the Thelosians' prisoners as much as he is theirs. Yep. So basically, Megora is uh, letting them know... I do not want to go back there, and you guys shouldn't go either. Um, Kirk and the away team go ahead and beam over to the house and find a Frankenstein monster attacking a woman. They fight the monster. Uh, actually, Kirk is able to fight off the monster barehanded, and he and the monster falls out the window. Then they are attacked by uh, every type of old-school monster in the book, even the Kraken from Clash of the Titan, Titans. I didn't recognize that. Yeah, I thought it looked just like him. Uh, as the monsters become real, Klingons reveal themselves and tell Kirk there is no escape. <laughs> to so be continued. Klingons are actually uh, behind all of this. So I didn't realize it at first, but when I first uh, took a look at these two episodes, I was thinking, uh, okay, number four, The Haunting of, of Thallus. And then I took a look at uh, issue five, whose title is The Haunting of the Enterprise. And I was thinking to myself, not very original. (laughs) They're doing a lot of this haunting stuff. And then I find out as I'm reading it, oh, it's a two-parter. two-parter. This is, uh, other than the three-parter we had in the the, the first three issues, uh, I've never ran into a two-parter. Yep. In the comic book series Yeah, because the gold key was, was like the TV show where you hit reset as soon as the issue was over. Exactly. Or the episode. So, uh, no, issue. All stay on their own. So now these, these uh, like Marvel Comics is known for, DC Comics is known for, is to build a whole world and have bring up new characters and new situations that will be kind of interwoven in between uh, several different issues. So I really like this. Cool. All right. Yeah, it, the writing is more sophisticated. Uh, again, this 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 one is written by that Marv Wolfman that I was telling you about earlier. So uh, again, he's he's a huge name in in the comic book business. Good. And uh, apparently, I'm guessing a Star Trek fan. Uh, yeah, who isn't? Uh, he also wrote a lot of the DC comic book series that uh, we'll get to eventually someday. Yeah. Now you uh, you gave credit credit to. Spock about sending that sonar wave to disable the the prisoner. No, uh, I said. Oh, well, I thought said, I said. You said that. Spock, but it was no, no, Kirk. No, no. What I said is Spock. Um, Spock did the Vulcan neck oh, pitch oh, oh, oh. to dis- to disable him, and Scotty set up the sonic uh, waves at Kirk's suggestion. Oh, I did not mention that. You yes, are right. right. You are correct. Um, if I could mention something on the front page, the front cover, mm-hmm. it says the Starship Enterprise's weirdest voyage. It is its weirdest. I think its weirdest voyage is the Voodoo Planet. <laughs> no, the I will not planet, get off the Voodoo what, Planet. Number four, nine or something of the it was something like stuff, that. Yeah. yeah, which we did not review. 
We reviewed it. Oh, we but, just went briefly. But we over. kind of got off topic and we never okay. really went back to it. So, yeah. uh, on our uh, Facebook, uh. somebody has actually said, "Hey, you need to go back and review Voodoo Planet. I want to see what Ken has to say about it." Is that maybe your wife? It's a fan. That's all it's that matters. It's a fan. It's a fan. <laughs> it's and we'll fan. take any fan we can get. Exactly. And, and might I also say that Donovan has done a first-class job of getting some, adding some video uh, to this podcast, uh, episode one. He's done a great job, and uh, we act, he actually has posted it to YouTube in 10-minute increments, and we actually have some pe- folks... That have watched it. We actually have evidence of, of folks that have, are, are actually listening has, and watching has our podcast. wasted some of their time yes. to listen to what we yes. have to say about a comic book that came out 30 years ago. Exactly. So isn't it great? <laughs> it's kind of isn't the internet, actually, it's 40 years ago. Isn't the internet amazing? was 40 years ago. Well, that's a long time. That is a long time. That's great. Anyway. All right. So. So uh, start off the teaser page at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I was very <laughs> happy to see that they did that again. Uh I don't remember it happening very much later on uh, in the other 18 issues of the Marvel series, uh, but I thought it was a nice little nod to you know what Gold Key did for their for their 61 issues. Hmm. So that's good. Um, okay, so getting back to something I I alluded to briefly in the uh, synop- in the summary is uh, when I first saw this, I immediately thought of the original series uh, episode Cat's Paw. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a Halloween theme. I, I can, if I went back and did the research, I'm sure I would see that that episode was probably originally aired somewhere around Halloween. Uh, although I could be wrong on that, but um, it, this kind of reminded me of that a little bit. And that that episode definitely had um, a Halloween theme, a wizard, a, uh, a a warlock, and some kind of a witch kind of thing, and uh, haunted mm-hmm. mansion, scary stuff. And so this kind of reminded me a little bit of it. Yeah, Especially and, the and to be honest, I uh, I unfortunately don't remember that one. I kind of remember it, but which I don't remember. It, it it wasn't the greatest episode in the world, but at least it wasn't a horrible third season episode either. So it was in the it was in the middle, maybe not the most memorable one in the world, as evidenced by mm. not recalling. Now I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. Uh, I'm, in fact, oh, I'm you, quite you sure I've seen, seen them all. This. But uh, I guess that one just doesn't really. Ring about the name does Cat's Paw, so I'm sure I read it somewhere that yeah. that's the name of, a, of an issue or an episode somewhere, right. but I don't remember the episode. But did they have a haunted house in space? Um, it was on a planet. It wasn't floating around in space. Yeah. So they they did do something a little different here. Now, now just kind of off topic, I read these years ago, mm-hmm. and, and I was already an adult, so it's <coughs> not like I read them when I was a kid. Like I did a lot of the DC stuff, so a lot of the DC stuff was coming out when I was a kid, and I was just eating it up, and it was great. Um, but I read this a few years back. I was already an adult, so I kind of was maybe a little bit more cynical to some of the, the sillier aspects to what mm-hmm. comic books at this time were. So when I read it the first time, and Dracula shows up, and mm-hmm. all these monsters, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is really not that cool. But now that <coughs> I read it again, and I kind of... I, I, maybe I didn't read both issues at the same time, mm-hmm. and... Reading them together, and I really, you know, we'll get into it when we get to the second issue, but I really like this story. I think this would have made a pretty good uh, TV show. Episode. Yeah, yeah, I think it would have been great. Uh, but it's just funny how just a reading or watching something a few years apart, you get two totally different uh, feels on. for the for yeah. what the material was. Cool. Uh, real quick, in the issue, they keep calling him Captain. Isn't he still Admiral? Or is it when you become uh, head of a ship... 
they start calling you captain again. But yeah, because uh, he hasn't been the ship. He, if he hasn't episode, been busted. Yeah, no, he's not yet. busted down yet. Yeah. I think tradition, you're a captain if you control a ship. Yeah, but. Hmm. So there's always some kind of controversy about did Kirk have a second five-year mission after the uh, the motion picture and before the mm-hmm. Wrath of Khan. Uh, there's a lot of expanded universe type stuff that, that does say, yes, he did indeed have a five-year mission, which this kind of alludes to. He is doing something uh, as Admiral uh, aboard, the, aboard the Enterprise. So, um, But people don't like that idea because they think that it loses some of the meaning when McCoy tells Kirk and, and Wrath of Khan that he needs to get the ship back. So you're supposed mm-hmm. to really get the feeling that he's maybe gone all this time between the two movies without being in command. But I don't necessarily see it that way. I think that he could have had five-year mission or so in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like five or six years before the two movies, right? It was a good lot of... It was a good, it was a good chunk of time. I don't know exactly how long, but it was a while. All right, I just Luckily, they, they brought it back because Wrath of Khan was kick-ass. It was. <clears throat> All right, so you have something to talk about on page two, something about the way the alien looks. Well, the first thing I just wanted to mention is uh, in the Admiral's um, spacious office, uh, they got they got two models of ships. And yeah. I just wanted to comment uh, that the ship on the left has, or appears to have, three nacelles, which is quite a bit like uh, the eventual uh, morphing of the Enterprise D when Riker was Admiral. As you may recall, I do recall. I don't remember the exact name of that next gen episode, uh, but uh, that was uh, all good things. Was that? Yeah. Well, was that all the good things? Yeah. Really? It was when uh, it was when Picard yeah, was I going that, to the future. I guess that and, would have been one. And uh, Riker was uh, captain of the Enterprise D, and Troy was dead, so he was yeah. really bitter about that. Uh, as you know, he was old and gray, and he was right, bitter right, because right. she chose Worf, but she died or something. I can't uh, really remember, uh, but. And he didn't want to help Ricard uh, because he thought he was just a crazy old man. But yeah, that was the. Uh, but but yeah, we obviously three... know that future couldn't happen because Enterprise D got blown exactly. up real good. Exactly, blown up really good. So obviously, uh, a different timeline. Yep. Um, but what is the ship? But that, but that was a really good final episode. It was. I like that. And again, it, I, I like it when they can tie in with other stuff. And yeah. obviously, uh, you know, encounter at Farpoint and all good things. You know. A lot of the same scenes are in both episodes, so it's kind of like a nice bookend to the to the seven years. Right. So the inter, the ship there on the right uh, in his office, the model. Yeah. What, what do you think that one looks like? Um. Well, a stargazer. I don't know. To me, it looks like the Kelvin from the new the new movie because uh, all it has is yeah, an engineer, but... engineering pod and the and the saucer section. Yeah. Isn't that what the Kelvin looked like? I don't, or did it have a, or did it actually have a one in uh, nacelle? It had one nacelle. It had one nacelle. Okay, it doesn't yeah. look anything like the Kelvin. Yeah, so so the Kelvin I think had a nacelle coming out of the top, if I remember correctly, and then it, out of the bottom was it an had engineering, the engineering section. section. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, but never but mind. this looks like some original. I mean, not that I ever saw any of the ships of this configuration in. Um, in the original TV series, of course, mm-hmm. with one nacelle coming out the bottom. So basically a bargain basement uh, uh, Constitution-class ship you know, with only one nacelle sticking out of the bottom with no engineering section. Uh, but there are many um, Star Trek uh, books uh, that had shown ships of this uh, class. Oh, is that right? Uh, so there was uh, with Star Trek... Um, not Star Trek Blueprints, but... God, it was one of my favorite the books technical ever. Technical Manual? 
It was like a technical manual, right? Where they had, uh, but it was almost like an encyclopedia kind of thing because yeah. it had a lot of Star Trek stuff in it, and they had multiple different uh, classes of starship, and this is one of them. Uh, so maybe it was. Was it never in an episode or anything? I don't remember it ever being an episode. The old show didn't have very many other Federation ships that I can remember. I remember there was a couple other Constitution class ships like the Defiant that show up, uh, but they didn't really have a lot of other classes that I recall. Yeah. All right. Well, one thing is, uh, if you do your video thing, I've got a very good um, picture for you to inset uh, right where we're talking here. All right. It's just a really good computer-generated thing that shows uh, several Constitution class starships and then whatever the, whatever those single is. nacelle uh, guys are. All right. Okay. So, uh, to me, the uh, the ambassador, which I know is not the alien you're talking about, but the ambassador looks a lot like... Um, uh, he looks like a purple Greedo with like really long ears. Greedo from Star Wars. Yeah. With the long like, tubular nose or he, mouth or whatever he is with the big gigantic <clears throat> black eyes. He looks like that or one of the guys from a... Um, like a Muppet movie, like the Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal. I was yeah. He reminds Especially me kind of Dark with Crystal the four man. legs, uh, where he has four legs and then two arms. So yeah, the, there's those creatures in the Dark Crystal did have the the four legs and the two arms, and right. they had the real long flowing robe looking things. I see that. But now the prisoner, the prisoner, the prisoner. is a red alien, and he looks just like Alien from Aliens. He, or he, alien from he, Aliens. He's, he's an interesting riff on one. Because you'll notice that he's got the same tail, he's got the same forehead, he's got the same kind of nasty teeth. He has the same mouth. But they've just changed a few things to him. Like, for instance, he's got he's got some kind of uh, uh, underwear. Well, he's wearing clothes. This well, is, This I, is a kid's book. He can't I, I know, I know, I know. That's fine, that's fine. He's not but, Chuck But the other thing is, look at him, he's got this kind of like crown kind of thing that reminds yeah, me the, of that, those uh, dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Right. That killed that uh, that that villainous uh, computer programmer. Yeah. Uh, at at the end. Yep. So that that I, I kind of like that. That's kind of a nice. But then he little... also has like he doesn't have eyes. Oh, he's got horns. He doesn't have That's eyes right. like the alien. Alien also does not have eyes in the movie, but he has these like weird looking uh, horn things that makes him kind of look like a like a bull alien. Uh, like if an alien had bull horns. Right. Uh, he does look like that, and he's red. That's pretty cool. All right, so. Uh, he beams over and he, he uh, attacks poor uh, Chief Rand. Right. I do like that she's back. I don't think she ever showed back up after issue number one and the gold key stuff, but uh, I'm glad to see that... Uh, I mean, I was glad to see that she was in the movie, and then mm-hmm. I was glad to see that uh, she's in this comic. She doesn't ever make it to um, Wrath of Khan, though, and you don't ever see her again. Mm. Or do you? Well, I... the. So Rathacon was the last one where they had that little throwaway when they left, left Dock or left Earth yeah, or whatever. But she's not in that one. Oh, she's she's not on the Enterprise after. No, the, not on the Enterprise, but she's on a space station or something. Is Wh- she which one in was episode that? two? Issue number two. Well, I mean, no, movie no. number two. <laughs> I, I, it was one of the movies, and I thought it was Wrath of Khan, but I could be wrong. But it's like, it's like they're heading they're heading out again. And then she makes some. She's like in some kind of control station where they can see the ship leaving. And she makes some comment to the uh, to the other guy in the room about them just going off and getting in trouble again or something like that. Yeah, it was uh, Star Trek Six. Oh, was it Six? Yeah, because okay. she's she's uh, like the Helms officer for Excelsior. 
Oh. She's she's on Sulu's Excelsior. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember that. And she also makes a guest star in that episode of Voyager where uh, it's called Flashback, where yeah. come to find out Tuvok also was aboard Excelsior. Oh. And she uh, kind of interacts with Tuvok and, and uh, George Takei in that episode. Do you remember that one? Oh, I remember, the, I remember the episode where they, yeah, it was like, I do remember that one, but I don't remember Rand being. Yeah, Rand. I might be wrong. But, no, no, you're but, I'm sure you're uh, I, thought, right. I think she is, and I always thought it was. I always felt a little bad for her because, I mean, she was in almost every episode of the original show, probably as many episodes mm-hmm. as Sulu was, and yet when that episode wasn't that came, like the first season though. Was she not in the second? Thing? I, I don't remember seeing her that much after the first season. Well, I know that when that episode of Voyager came out, it was like Sulu's back. Oh it's yeah! So great to have Sulu back, yeah. and then I was like, That's "What about Rand?" Rand? Right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, when this sonar thing goes off uh, at, at Kirk's suggestion, um, I thought I didn't really like this this effect with the little sonar looking circles. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of uh, Daredevil. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read oh, a lot of Daredevil, right, but right, right. Of it's also by by Marvel, and and that's how of course he I read uh, Daredevil. Come on. He, uh, that's how he sees the world. I was like Daredevil. All right, so uh, I'm on page uh, seven. You have anything up until then? Uh, you're already past no, that. No, I'm past that. Um, on, on seven, after seven, there's a little advertisement for Marvel Comics. Oh, right, yeah. It has they a picture of ones. has a picture of Hulk. Mm-hmm. Has a picture of Howard the Duck and his girl. I don't know who she is. Has a picture of uh, somebody called uh, Crazy the Clown or something like that, <laughs> or Obnoxio, Obnoxio the Clown, something like that. He was a mm-hmm. kind of like a Mad Magazine type uh, yeah. character. Okay. Uh, Conan, yeah. and then on the very end is Dracula. But in between Conan and Dracula is a naked woman, hot, hot chick, and she's only being covered up with her hair and like a little uh, sash that says Miss Preview. Yeah, Miss Preview. Now, and if so you, is she just cheesecake? I mean, is it yeah, just if you look down, you look down. This 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 is advertising uh, comic books that were coming out at the time. Conan, Incredible Hulk, Hulk, Dracula, uh, uh, Tales of Dracula, Tales from Dracula, or Tomb of Dracula, Tomb of Dracula, which is where Blade got his start. Huh. Um, and then there's one called Marvel Preview. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming she is somehow affiliated with Marvel Preview, but yeah. I've never seen her before. Yeah. So I did some like research on the internet looking for Miss Miss Preview. Of course you did. I had of course to. you I had did. To. I was like, how random! All these comic book characters that I know very well, uh-huh. and a naked girl. <laughs> and I was just like, who, who is this? So I, I did a search, Miss Preview, nothing. Hmm. There's nothing on the internet about a Miss Preview, and then I and and this uh, Marvel Preview, which she's, uh, or I'm assuming she's supposed to be sponsoring there, yeah. was like an anthology type uh, comic book series. But uh, there was only like 18 issues or whatever, mm-hmm. and I kind of read the synopsis of all of them, and no mention of a Miss Preview because I was mm-hmm. thinking, well, maybe she's kind of like a crypt keeper, and she's kind yeah. of uh, uh, you she's know, entertaining the just earth. advertising cheesecake. Nope. Exactly. I, I just thought that was funny. I mean. It was just random. <laughs> Here's a naked girl with some long hair and a sash. Yes. All right. Um, when the the two crewmen are about to uh, get really close and mm-hmm. then they get attacked by the werewolf. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's that's the first time that we've ever seen crew members getting romantic with each other, right? In the yeah, Star Trek universe. we generally don't. Yeah, because it was really frowned on. There was no families. There was no... Well, yeah. however... Yeah? 
Cisco. That's later. I'm talking well, about up but, until this point in the old show and okay, in the, mo- the yeah, one movie yeah, that we have to reference. Granted, granted, granted. And I know Kirk and everybody had their little flings with all the aliens. Sure, but, but they didn't was, bring them back. Exactly. This was the first time that you saw, hey, these people could actually hook up while they're on the ship. Sure. And another thing is that the uh, that the guy looks a lot like uh, a lot like Chekhov. Uh, I thought he looked like Donny Osmond. Oh, really? I don't well, know. Well, <laughs> when I was first looking, uh, I thought, hey, okay, good. Uh, Chekhov's in this one. Good. He and is then I find one. out... Oh, that's not Chekhov. Of course, I mean, he comes in down here, of course. Right. But I I thought he was Chekhov. That's crewman Cyron Williams. Now, you can't recognize Cyron Williams? Uh, Shame on you. I can't recognize Cyron Williams from uh, from Chekhov. But then we go to the, the, the rec hall, and uh, Sulu is fencing, and Chekhov is just eating an apple, like, you know, yeah. commenting on Sulu's fencing. Yeah. And then they get attacked by a ghost, and Chekhov just suddenly whips out a phaser and shoots it. I'm like, he's eating an apple. Why does he need a phaser well, in the rec room? Yeah, and you can see it's at his side. Oh, well, they have it's to. Just, it's just, why? People don't, they, he's not a, well. He becomes he's a weapons, officer later. He's a weapons officer what, or something. I don't know what he is right here. What, but why, he's relaxing. Why does he have a phaser? Exactly. Maybe he just wants to make sure he wins when he competes against <laughs> Chaka or, or uh, Sulu. I don't know. Do like a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing where exactly. Sulu's there with his sword and uh, Chaka just shoots him. Yeah. Nice. All Which right. is another nice touch I liked in uh, in Star Trek Eleven. When uh, when Sulu's uh, trained uh, hand-to-hand combat, whatever, is fencing. fencing. Yeah. I thought that was great. It's great awesome. tie-in from the original series. Now, they make a comment here uh, when when Kirk is... Uh, when Chekhov tells Kirk what, what happened, and he says, uh, I even used my Russian-made phaser. Yes, yes, exactly. Which, I know they made that joke all the time in Russian, the original whatever, series. Russian, whatever, superior. But... Is it really Russian? It looks just uh, like all the others. Exactly. Would he have a special phaser? Maybe that's why he's casting on him. I don't want my Russian phaser to get mixed up with you guys' uh, cheap Even federation. Even exactly the same. <laughs> I just thought that was weird. I understand it was a joke, and it's, it's a joke they used in the old show, but... Yeah. Uh, when, when Dracula shows up, and yes, it's Dracula. And not only is it Dracula, but it's real Dracula or something. <laughs> I think what put me off when I read this the first time was Spock says, uh, fascinating, Captain. Dracula uh, oh, has oh, not been exactly. seen since he was slain by Jonathan Archer. I mean, Jonathan Harker. Uh, Harker. Quincy yeah. Harker, excuse me. What, and But when I reread it, it says legend, Earth legend. He's legendarily uh, was killed by, uh, I thought his name was Jonathan, but this says Quincy, by uh, Quincy Harker. So, okay, I, well, I get it. It's It's, it's. It's a legend, not necessarily. Yeah. It's not really Dracula. Sure. And Jonathan Harker. Quincy. Well, I, no, no, Jonathan. Okay. Um, in the original story, Harker was. I thought Harker. No, that's Renfield. Renfield is the guy who ended up being. Was the lawyer that went there who ended up becoming um, the weird guy. Right. Uh, yeah. And Harker was uh, uh, the, buggy the girl's guy. boyfriend. Exactly. Right. right. I didn't remember him killing uh, Van, uh, killing him. I thought it was uh, Doctor Van Helsing, but yeah. And then Quincy. The only Quincy I remember seeing is is the later remake. I'm sure this was all part of the original story, but in the ori- in the in the remake that uh, Francis Ford Coppola did of Dracula. Right. 
Um, there was a, a Quincy character in there. I don't remember his name being Harker, but there was a Quincy character. Huh. So there were like one, two, like three, three, three guys, uh, younger strapping guys that were uh, that were helping get Dracula in that movie, and one of them's name was Quincy. Oh, that's funny. I've only seen that movie once. I don't really remember it. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Maybe maybe the movie in some aspects was closer to the original book. Yeah. It was uh, supposed so. to be. It was called Bram Stoker's Dracula, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. All right. So when uh, when Dracula turns into mist and goes into the uh, turbo lifts, Kirk does call them elevators. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't turbo lift? Isn't that a little European? Is it? And we don't well, we don't I call don't them lifts. lifts. But we don't call them turbo In the US. elevators. Well, no, but I mean these things no, can but, go left, right, up, down. Well, these are great. Well, I know, but I'm just saying. The turbo is the part that makes it futuristic. So there are many examples in the Star Trek universe where they go ahead and take something today and then give it a futuristic application like tractor beam. Right. Okay. Tractor as in something you use on the farm that to haul, to pull things. Um, and But, the, yeah, so I'm just saying that this is the same kind of application. I, I totally see what you're saying. Uh, the only thing is, I, you know, why, why do they use the European name for a uh, elevator? Well, in the Shorter? don't oh. they use meters and stuff instead of miles? So I mean, meters, yeah, meters, yes, right. In 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 the Star Trek, spell it. in Star Trek, don't they use meters? I know in the oh, next yeah, generation yeah. they do, but yeah. I can't and remember they should the because uh, at the time they were producing the show, you know, the 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 metric system was supposed to be the future. Kind of funny and how it still it, might it? be. It might be, but boy, we're pretty slow about doing it in the states. All right. Come here. The last thing I have on this issue, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of where where you you're at. No, but I, I, eventually I do want to just comment on this Rom Space Night. Uh, the advertisement that's like on. Yeah. It's on page eighteen. Page eighteen. Yeah. Okay. What about it? I just wanted to comment that um, apparently, I, I don't remember how many failed comic books there were out there, but there were probably quite a few. Because mm-hmm. this Rom Space Night. I mean, I was a big Marvel fan. I was more of a Marvel fan than I was a DC fan, although I like DC, too. Right. And I don't remember ever hearing about this ROM guy. Well, were you still reading comic books in the 80s? Not as much. Yeah. Not as much, but still, I just never heard of him. Do you, you I remember actually, him? I actually have a couple of these issues, oh, and, okay. and I actually got them when I... Uh, the, the comic book store that I get stuff from would yeah. uh, sometimes sell you a uh, box of comics. Oh, or right. actually, it would sell you like a comic book box so that you can put your comic books in yeah. a, uh, a, a pack of uh, the mylar's to put it in, and a sure. pack of uh, boards to put it in, and as a bonus, twenty five random comics. So <laughs> and these are the ones they couldn't sell. These are some that I have in there. So yeah. I've never read them, but I do have it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is on the very last page. We have, like, uh, Magora kind of laughing. And these three panels, it shows him kind of, like, in a thinker position. And then it kind of has him looking up in the at the ceiling in the, in the brig. Mm-hmm. And then it has him opening up his mouth and laughing. Yeah. That last page, once you take the... I mean, they even... They close. They did a close up on him, so it cuts off the horns. It is alien. It looks just like the chest buster that comes out of uh, yeah. Kane's uh, chest there in the, yeah. the mess hall. So, I mean, obviously this was like a Halloween-themed uh, couple issues, So right. and, and Alien had just came out like the year before, so I mean, it was probably still pretty fresh in everybody's minds. 
cool. I just like it. I thought that was a nice little nod. Yeah, I, I like that. That that it was that was that was a nice closing too. All right, so you want to just jump straight into Let's, number five because we're running a little long. Yep. F- number five came out in August 1980, The Haunting of the Enterprise. So basically, part two to the previous one. <laughs> All right, so it starts off with uh, uh, the Andorian crew member who got beamed onto the uh, the. In the previous episode, along with the other uh, crew members, gets killed by the Klingons. Uh, Kirk fights back uh, and stuns the Klingon. Uh, a bigger fight ensues, and the Klingons end up kidnapping Spock and being memeing away from the haunted house. Uh, Kirk and the away team, uh, along with the girl, which we didn't really mention uh, before, who was getting attacked by Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh, she, she doesn't know who she is. She, she has amnesia. So she and Kirk and everybody else are beamed aboard the Enterprise. All right, the Klingon captain, uh, in a very uh, Bondish kind of way, explains his evil plans to Spock <laughs> in quite quite about a detail. Uh, they're going to capture the Enterprise to examine the new engines, which I thought was a kind of a nice nod because of uh, the retrofit between the old Enterprise and this one. All right, so meanwhile, back in the bowels of the Klingon ship, uh, it shows a alien who's being tortured, and it says it's forcing him to bring the nightmares back. All right, then we see Kirk McCoy and the girl uh, speaking with Magora. He, he uh, kind of taunts them and tells them that the girl has the answers to everything, even though she doesn't know anything. Uh, the Enterprise is attacked, um, and uh, everyone heads to the bridge to find out what happened. The Klingons are actually attacking the engines to disable the ship. Uh, as soon as they're offline, the attack stops. Uh, <coughs> Kirk doesn't want to retaliate uh, because he's worried that he'll kill Spock. In the, inter- in the sick bay of the Enterprise, McCoy and Chapel, who I thought was nice to bring back, are investigating his tricorder readings from the away team, and he makes a great discovery. Uh, then throughout the ship, more creatures manifest themselves and start attacking the crew. On the bridge, McCoy runs, into, uh, runs in with the big news. The girl is not human. And that's the big reveal, and then we mm-hmm. cut away. Uh, board, we're back aboard the Klingon ship. The Klingons reveal Spock uh, even more of their plans. Uh, they found a derelict ship that had a lone uh, human survivor who was a horror movie uh, archivist. Uh, they're using this machine uh, to fuse his mind and create images uh, from his memory. Uh, he, his first image, they say, was that he recreated his wife, and then he started creating all these monsters and everything from the horror movies. Uh, he actually was able to transform a space station into the haunted house that we saw in the first issue. Uh, they, they say the images are created from free hydrogen atoms that look so real that they'll even fool the tricorders. Uh, he also says that the, uh, the Enterprise is receiving these through a receptor in Magora's skull. Uh, once he's finished showing Spock everything, he leaves Spock alone with a single, uh, a single uh, guard. <laughs> <laughs> Almost in a uh, James Bondian move. Exactly. And then uh, the uh, Spock tells the guard that he thinks that the uh, the human looks a little sick and, and talks him into being able to mind meld with him. On board the Enterprise, more of the monsters are attacking, and then they start to form into Spock, who tells them to kill the girl. Spock thinks that, or Kirk thinks that it's a trick, but McCoy believes him and just shoots shoots the girl dead. Suddenly, the film freak wakes up. Uh, the film freak is the guy that was being held captive. Uh, the images suddenly disappear from the Enterprise and start suddenly appearing on uh, the Klingon ship. Uh, this is due to Magora's receptor shorting out uh, when uh, Ma- 
he just suddenly dies when uh, the same time that the uh, the archivist wakes up. Anyways, the uh, Klingons are attacking the the Phantoms. They accidentally destroy some of their ship. Spock and the film guy escapes uh, with the the mind device. Uh, the Enterprise then takes the Klingons and, and the device and the film guy to a nearby spar- uh, space, a star base and head off. And that's the end of the two-parter. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it was, again, I really like this, uh, the story. Yeah, I thought it, it was, was really good. good. I liked it too. Um, so, um... Yeah, you know, I did not realize that was an Andorian. But now that you mention it, I do kind of see the horns coming out of his head. And the blue skin didn't give it away? Well, I'm reading black and white. You and your color blindness. Exactly. Yeah, so what my, my workflow on, on, reading, on the, reading these comics is usually I print them off on uh, using a black and white laser jet printer. And so I do miss out on some of the color. Yeah, and uh, the way he's doing that, we kind of alluded to this in a previous uh, episode, and we didn't really talk about it, but uh, a year or so ago, uh, it was probably about two years ago, um, a company uh, came out with a DVD that has every Star Trek comic book published uh, by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, and Wildstorm. So everything that was uh, published uh, up until that time is all on this one DVD uh, it's, it's only like $50, which is a great deal, because if you tried to buy these issues uh, from the comic book stores, I oh. mean, some of those gold keys, I mean, they're all $100 plus. Yeah. Um, so it's really nice to be able to finally get to read them, because as I was uh, telling Ken earlier, as a kid growing up, I bought issue number one of the DC series uh, as a back issue, and I thought, this is great, I got issue number one. And then later on I found out that, oh, that's just issue number one of the DC. There's mm. also issue number one of Marvel. And then even later back, uh, there was an issue number one of the Gold Key. So I always, th- in my mind, had envisioned how great these Gold Key comics were uh-huh. and how much I was missing out by not being able to fork over hundreds of dollars to, to read one. So it's really nice that you can get them now. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. I recommend everybody to do so. Uh, if you just want to, if you just want to stick with the movies, they actually came out with a, a cheaper version of that DVD, and it's just the adaptation of the first eight movies, hmm. all the way up. Not include because uh, Nemesis never had a, a adaptation. Uh, adaptation. The new movie didn't have an adaptation, and uh, Wrath of Khan never had an adaptation. So it's the not, uh, adaptation of all those other movies plus the first 18 uh, issues of this Marvel series. So it's only uh, maybe like fifteen dollars, ten dollars. Hmm. So it's still a good good deal if you wanted to just read these these 18 uh, issues that Marvel came out that were kind of based on the the new Star Trek the movie uh, continuity. All right, so so that's how he's able to print it off and then read it on the airplane in, in uh, glorious black and white. Exactly. Very glorious. I do love the comics, but I'm not using coloring. Damn it. You could just read it off the computer like you're supposed to. I could. <laughs> Maybe right. when I get that color e-reader. There you go. All right, so um, on, uh, I, I, I don't really have a lot to talk about in the first several pages. Um, I like it was all pretty straightforward. Um the only thing I have to say is that when it shows the Enterprise next to the uh, what we find out later is the space station, that haunted house is huge. I mean, it's like four or five times bigger than 
the Enterprise, which would would be out of proportion if it was really a house or sure. even a castle. Yep. Because the Enterprise should be a lot bigger than a house or a castle. So. Sure. But maybe and then it, later you find out what it really is. It's a space station, which it's which, a repurposed space station. Which a, a space station obviously should be bigger than the Enterprise, but when it's a house, it should not quite be that big. So this must Agreed. be a gigantic house. It's pretty big, <laughs> and, and really the, the the whole Klingon setup here seems pretty pretty uh, complicated. I mean. It, I mean, that's fine. I mean, the, the explanation for everything they did and, oh, they found this guy and they were able to use him in this machine and all this kind of stuff, it seems a bit uh, uh, complex, it, but hey. And trick the, the real Tholians, or whatever their names are, to give wrong coordinates to Kurt where to drop off this alien. Yeah. And to have the alien already imprinted with the chip. Uh, it just seems like a lot of random pieces just suddenly... Got together just yeah. for this this one Klingon plan. All pulled together for them to be able to have monsters and a haunted house in in a story. And it, I think it, but it's still I, good. I think it I works. Like I really it. like it. I, I, it's good. Um, I just wanted to talk about on page ten. Um, if we can jump over there real quick. Uh, page ten shows um, a picture of Kurt talking to. Uh, Chekhov. Okay. Uh, it's the second row of panels and the first panel uh, on the left. Okay. But that picture looks just like Spock. It looks like maybe they even was drawn as Spock and then somebody went back and kind of rounded out the ears or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. Maybe they really drew it that way and I'm I'm uh, belittling somebody's artwork and I don't really want to do that. But right. this picture just looks like... This looks more like Spock to me than, than Chekhov. There you go. Uh, I think you're right about that. Another thing in the panel just above it, um, they're under attack by the by the Klingons, and uh, Sulu, at least I think it's Sulu. Yeah, it's Sulu. Um, he's saying, deflector shields up, sir. The Klingons are firing phasers. It's like, I thought I thought Klingons use disruptors. They do. So I, I totally missed that. that. I missed that. And I just now noticed uh, who's at, at the other station to his right. Is just some random girl. So, yeah. Uh, so how did Chekhov pop well, up? Well, Chekhov's over at the science station where, oh. where Spock normally would be. Oh, I see. I see. But I, I just think it's funny that in the first movie, Ilya was the helmsman, not Chekhov. Hmm. So it's not until Star Trek Two that Chekhov's... And in fact, does Chekhov... Does he go back there? Because he, he becomes commander in between the first movie and the second movie. Because he's commander on a different ship with uh, that other that other guy. Oh, in three. And no, part two. Because in part two, Chekhov and and I can't remember the, the captain's name. They're the ones that go down to uh, the planet to find Khan. But Chekhov is actually well. Check off- yeah, Chekhov is off ship. I yeah. Thought, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Sulu. Okay. I thought I said Chekhov, but oh, okay. But I'm saying that he's not a helmsman. He's a commander at that point. By the time the second movie comes out, he's a commander. Well, and in the first movie, he wasn't a helmsman. He was some sort of security. Uh, security yeah. Officer. Didn't he? Didn't he fire the photons or something? Yeah. So I just think. And, and plus, he was all. Wasn't he the navigator? And Sulu was the. Yeah, helmsman? that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, he was the navigator. And so Ilya was the navigator right. in the first movie, and then they. I never really thought about it until I just looked at this panel that right. I guess they had to replace her with somebody. With somebody. And they just put in a random girl. Um, and, and, and since they do man the bridge 24 hours a day, you know, different people do rotate in even though you tend to see the same characters at their positions. 
Hmm. Um, another thing I thought was kind of interesting is on page six, where the story's going along, and all of a sudden, bing, you've got this picture of this guy in a chair. Yeah. And it's just totally a non sequitur. It's just like popping up in the middle of nowhere. And it's like you're going, who is that guy? So I thought it was a cool little, um, little, a little more sophisticated story, um, a little foreshadowing or something, kind of saying, hey, here's something else going on, and it'll be important later. But when you see it, it's like, what the heck's this about? Yeah. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. And I kind of like the butthead alien on page seven. <laughs> Is that what he is? The bottom right-hand panel. Is that? A, I thought that was a helmet. It looks like a butthead alien. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, because look at... I mean, I, I think it's alien. Yeah, it does kind of look like an alien. I, actually, he looks a lot more like a Star Wars alien to me, but... Yeah, it kind of looks like the Bith, from, who were the uh, cantina musicians. Yeah, he looks like one of those guys. Yeah, he does. Or something, but butthead. But, I mean, if you want to call people buttheads, what about the... Uh, Telosians? The, yeah, the The originals. The original ones. Yes, not from not the Magora cage. And them. Yeah, I always, I always called them the butthead aliens. Yeah, they they do look butthead. But now that you mention it, now that you mention this guy, and I'm actually looking at him, the the last panel on page seven, his belt buckle is the the Enterprise Ooh. logo, not the little uh, buckle thing. Yeah, is it? Isn't that more like uh, like what they used in uh, Wrath of Khan? Yeah. So I don't know if it's hmm. just the way he's kind of turned, and maybe the picture just looks like it's a. It, it might it might really be the weird butt, butt, uh, belt buckle, but yeah. it does kind of yeah. look like it, the logo. It, it looks like the the swoopy kind of Star Trek logo. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, not to, when uh, Chapel and McCoy are going through their uh, findings, and he makes the big reveal uh, on page eleven. I do think it's funny that they're kind of alluding that she might still have a thing for Spock. Oh, really? Chapel. I, I she, says, that uh, she says, just keep busy, Doctor. It'll take your mind off of, and then she kind of trails off, and then McCoy has to pick up and say, Spock, I know Christine. You're worried about him, too. So mm. I just thought it was kind of mm. a nice nod that, you know, it makes you a little sad that she's thing. still pining after him after, after all these, these years. many years. It's like, come on, Christine. There's this nice guy named Roddenberry. You'll like him. Or Mr. Troy, or whatever. Mr. Troy? Well, you know, she also played... Oh, Diana. that's she right! She also played uh, uh, Luxana Troy. Luxana Troy, yeah. yeah. Who uh, obviously got married to somebody named Troy. And... At some point. She had a thing with Odo. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Picard. Yeah, well, she, she, always, she always, it wasn't reciprocated, though. But no. Odo and her had a thing going there. Right. And in fact, they got married, didn't they? They kind of had a, uh, there was kind of like a green heart, uh, green card type episode where she had to get married to stay somewhere, and so she ended up marrying Odo. Oh, I don't know. Am I just making this up? No, 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 maybe. Uh, I mean, I remember her and Odo uh, yeah, I think they actually, having something, I think but I didn't they remember married. they got married. I do think they got married, which I, I remember watching it, like, that's Troy's stepdad now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on page fourteen, I like how they brought back the um, the H.G. Wells War of the Worlds War of the aliens. World. I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. Well, that was the. I guess at this point we still don't know that he's a film critic or something. But or, at this point, I'm like, dude, those look just like the War of the War Worlds uh, little spaceships. You're right. Exactly. And then I'm like the 1950s. And version. I'm like, and then I'm Not thinking, the... I'm like, and that thing looks like an alien, yeah. and. 
uh, Frankenstein, Dracula. Yeah. I was like, something. These people are really playing a lot of homage to these old uh, science fiction movies. Exactly. And then, yeah. like, the next page. Oh. And you finally find mind. out. Which it's kinda, because he just so happens to be a horror movie archivist. Yeah, so it never really says whether that was his position aboard a starship or something. Or if he was just, he and his wife were on some sort of uh, civilian cruise or something that, that got into some trouble. It never says what type of ship he was right. on when when uh, when they uh, got attacked or everybody else died. But right. I did think it was funny. Is there really a, a horror movie archivist? <laughs> well, yeah, but I doubt if you'll see him uh, traveling through space much. Just, just to do that? Yeah. Um, to go back a little bit on, on uh, the advertisements that come right after page eleven, mm-hmm. there's an advertisement for the Incredible Hulk utility belt. Oh God! Which I thought was funny because uh, oh right, right, yeah. Why? What? The Hulk does not need utilities. Exactly. Batman needed a utility belt. Yes. Spider-Man, I could see needing a utility belt, even though you don't ever really you never see have one. it. Well, it's kind of supposed to be underneath his costume, I think. Well, that's where he's got extra webbing Web cartridges. cartridges. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. But Hulk, uh, he kind of breaks through all his belts. It'd be kind of hard to... Uh... <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I just thought that was funny. And then a little bit lower on that same page, they're advertising superhero dolls. I remember those. And, yeah, they were uh, Mecco dolls where they were kind of like uh, Barbies. They had like a big rubber band in the middle of them to kind of right. keep the arms and stuff together. And as right. soon as that rubber band broke, their arms and stuff would just fall off. <laughs> I remember them too, uh, but I just think it's funny that it's Robin from Batman, Wonder Girl from uh, Wonder Woman, um, Captain, America. Captain America, the Penguin, and then uh, Spider-Man and the Hulk. Quite a mixture. So this is a Marvel comic book series, and it's advertising uh, three DC comic characters and three Marvel characters. Yeah. I don't think that they really do that these days anymore, oh, even if they, they're they advertising a product. I, I don't think they do. Hmm. I can't remember ever seeing a Spider-Man advertisement in a Batman comic, but maybe it does when video games and movies come out, but I, well, not I, like this. I remember when they came out. I don't, I don't know if it's the same model or not, but, but this, this is a lot later in time. But when I was younger, I remember, I was still living in Chicago, um, I remember having some of those dolls, and they were cool. No, I like those. That's what I wanted to talk about. What? Dolls. They, are not, they are not dolls. Those are action figures. Action figures. Action figures. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. But the the Hulk utility belt, just to go back on this real quick, uh, this is right when the Hulk TV show was on with Bill mm-hmm. Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, obviously Hulk was probably their big cash cow at that time. Sure. So, uh, and it's nothing different than what they do now because uh, my son, uh, who was two years old when the, start, the, the last Hulk movie came out, he, he really liked it. And he has a Hulk on a Hulk cycle. Nah. Uh, like this, like, four-wheeler, like, doom buggy type thing. Uh-huh. And uh, when he got it, I was like, mm, I don't remember that in the movie. I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember him jumping into the Hulkmobile. But, uh, you know. No, he, he might smash a Hulkmobile, but he really doesn't need much in the way of transportation. Right. And then uh, back to the story when, when Kirk, uh, McCoy finally tells Kirk what the big news is and that... She's not an alien, or she's not human. I thought that was kind of um, specious. Is that the right word? Specious. <laughs> because in the Star Trek universe, there's tons of aliens that aren't human. Oh, yeah. They're on the Vulcans ship. Vulcans look They're just members. like humans. I mean, I'm just saying that, that look like humans, but aren't. <coughs> I mean, yeah. Beta Zeds, they look like yeah. humans. Yeah. The old Klingons look like humans. I mean, 
I don't know why that would be such a big deal. I mean, okay, she's blonde and she wears a little dress. That doesn't necessarily mean she has to be human. But, right, right. But that's like the big reveal. She's not human. All right. Um, do, 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 do. What else you got? Oh, 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 oh. I love it when, <clears throat> when Spock is telling uh, the guard, the one guard that he got left with, I think this human looks sick. And he's like, and the Klingon's like, oh, how would I know? They all look alike to me. <laughs> I thought that was well, awesome. Well, Klingons are bad guys. I know, but uh, in the in the Star Wars books, uh, you know who the Mon Calamarians are? Like Admiral Akbar, the, uh-huh. the, okay. the, the, the Calamarians. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, I do too. But anyways, in one of the books, uh, it's it's telling the story from the Mon Calamarian point of view and he makes a comment that uh, all the humans look alike like how do you know they all look alike and I'm like that is that's hilarious that's (laughs) that's the first time I heard that joke I'm sure it's been used in tons of other science fiction type stuff but uh, I just that always really stuck with me I was like that is funny especially in Return of the Jedi they only had like one mold of that Admiral Akbar head that they used for the whole crew so the whole crew really had the same head (laughs) Ah, and then you just they just spliced them together yeah just put on different i mean it was just the same mold of the same head so it was literally a copy of the same head that was on all the other crew members so they all were basically the same as admiral akbar just in different clothes but and then you have you have a character they all look alike to me that's that's hilarious all right um, anyways, uh, when they run off with the ship, with, with the device... Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they took the ship, they took the device, but I thought they left the ship. Oh, did they? I think so. So, they got Spock back, he beams back with the, with the device and the, and the guy, and then it says, take us home, Mr. Sulu, even if we have to crawl there. Yes, sir, gladly. So oh, it was yeah. like, I, I thought, was thinking, you know... Yeah, I guess maybe they didn't take the ship. You know, uh... You know, all you have to do is, like, let them kill all the... I mean, it, it, it's a Klingon cruiser. It's like, why Why not take it? Yeah. Exactly, and study their engines. Yeah. Now, well, whatever you can find When out. I was reading the comic, uh, and I was making notes while I was reading it, so I hadn't finished the co- uh, comic when I was making these notes, I, I wrote throughout the whole thing when those when those images started appearing on the Enterprise, and everybody's right. just shooting everything. Yeah. And they're even on the bridge, and Kirk's, like, shooting, which, where I'm, I'm thinking... Well, right behind that is the the view screen. And yeah. Like, are you just blasting the crap out of these view screens? And and, and heaven forbid, out. somebody just happens to be standing behind the monster. Yeah. And like, hey, Kirk, what's going on? And they, they just never, it's phasing. They never think about that. So I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm reading the whole thing. I'm even right now. I'm like, <laughs> there might be people behind that. They're killing all these people. <laughs> and then later on, when we get aboard the Klingon ships, and the and suddenly the monsters start appearing there. And what happens? The Klingons shoot through a monster and destroy their ship. And I'm like. Hello, that would have already happened on the Enterprise. Uh, should have. Should have, yeah. yeah. But uh, I just thought that was funny. And I thought it was funny that it was a little inconsistent. Because I, yeah. was, I was like, that wouldn't happen. That's, that's wrong. And then, <laughs> but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it. You know, somehow it's not going through the monsters or something. And then, sure enough, and the <laughs> as soon as they show up on the Klingon ship, it goes right through them and destroys a very vital piece of the ship. Exactly. And there were quite a few attacks on the Enterprise that they were fighting off. Yeah. Now, one thing that I think it's interesting at the very end, uh, that it appears as if McCoy actually won an argument with Spock. Oh, because 
because the... At, at least he had the last say. McCoy. Yeah, we didn't really talk about it, but the, the Phantom... The Phantom uh, Girl, the girl that mm-hmm. McCoy killed, yeah. was actually uh, the film guy's an wife. image of the film girl guy's wife, wife. Right. and who, who, who was dead. Right. So when when McCoy killed her, or killed the image of her, that was what woke him up, and uh, somehow him waking up caused this feedback that killed Megora, and because Megora was no longer the receiver of these transmissions, they all suddenly bounced back and they were being projected aboard the uh, Klingon ship. Yeah. Which, uh, which I thought was extremely convenient. I, but I, liked, I like the idea of the the death of the phantom wife being the catalyst that wakes him up. Mm-hmm. I like that. I thought yeah. that was really good. And what I was hoping when I was reading it uh, was that he was so angry that the Klingons you know, first made him create an image of his wife that he couldn't be with and then forced him to make all these things. And now that he was finally awake from this drug-induced coma or whatever, that he was just, like, forcing it all on them to get revenge. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. I really like that idea that he's finally getting his revenge from these captors that he really had no control over. <clears throat> and then, like, the last panel there, McCoy's, or Kirk's like, uh, well, how did you know that uh, when he woke up that would cause this feedback, which would then project, <laughs> just conveniently project it onto... Mm-hmm. And and, McCoy, and and I think Spock even points yeah, it out. He's like, "That is that was an incredible uh, coincidence. Sure. I was not expecting that, but I thought it could happen." Yeah, uh, um, I was I was not absolutely certain that the monsters would then be reflected back to the Klingon vessel, though it seemed probable. Yeah, which I thought kind of like, soiled uh, his revenge. I was like, yeah. "All right, it was just a coincidence that it came back and, and destroyed the Klingons." Where I was really liking the idea that. Uh, that he was somehow getting, uh, giving them some comeuppance. Come yeah. uppance. However, uh, they, they got their comeuppance, but it wasn't because of anybody's yeah, conscious action. It was just a coincidence. And then poor Magora just dies. Poor Magora. Poor Magora. Ugh. Alien guy. All right, so uh, let's just go straight into what what else was happening in the ex- uh, the rest of the Star Trek universe at this time, or here on Earth that where we got to partake in the Star Trek universe. Obviously, December 1979, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out. That was probably pretty huge. Uh, like I said, I don't really remember that well. All I remember is the Happy Meal toys. But uh, <laughs> I remember it very well. Ken says he remembers it. All right, and in February 1980, uh, they came out with a Star Trek, The well, it, at the time, that wasn't the original series. It was just Star Trek novel called uh, Perry's Planet by uh, Jack Handelman II. Uh, this is kind of like a time travel thing where they fight uh, Klingons who have uh, who have been ruled for by a human for the last 300 years. I've never read it, but uh, it seems kind of interesting. Uh, March 1980, uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture comic came out, which, as we said earlier, was uh, later reprinted in, in uh, Star Trek number 1, 2, and 3, which we reviewed today. Uh, April 1980 was... Issue number one, uh, May eighty was uh, issue number two. June eighty was issue number three, and then four came out in July eighty, and August uh, uh, number five came out. Um, also, when the movie was released, um, I think the novel um, license went to a new company who mm-hmm. actually still has it today, Pocket Books, mm-hmm. um, and they started off uh, a line of uh, novels with 
novel number one. They actually numbered these novels, kind of like a comic book. <laughs> novel number one, Star Trek The Motion Picture. And then going forward from there, uh, unlike the previous Star Trek novels like Perry's Planet and uh, Spock Must Die and all those other ones that we've talked about, um, these were actually just, they weren't necessarily in chronological order, so they would still be back in like season one, two, three, and then also there would be some that was based after the motion picture. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like all over the place, but they definitely had a numbering system, and it wasn't until years later, like when Next Generation came out, that they started supplementing that with like these hardcover special editions that weren't part of the numbering, uh, the numbered uh, uh, books. So anyways, I always thought that was nice that... They actually numbered it, and you could actually go out and try to find all these books, and you knew which ones uh, you missed. I, I got a lot of them. Uh, I haven't necessarily read all of them, but uh, right. I did go through a phase where I was trying to get as many of them as I could. Cool. All right, so the, that's about it. Next ish, next episode, we are going to next jump to uh, DC Comics. Like I said, we wanted to kind of give Ken a, a taste of all the other uh, comic book series. And uh, DC Comics did come out with a uh, Kirk-era Star Trek series, but we're actually going to skip it uh, and because we kind of want to see uh, some new faces, uh, exploits of a new crew. So we're going to jump straight to the, the six-part miniseries that DC Comics did of Star Trek The Next Generation, which, which started coming out uh, during Season 1 of uh, The Next Generation, which I think was, what, 88 when that started? So the Sounds next right. two uh, episodes will be uh, that miniseries. So we'll do the first three next episode, and then we'll do the next three the, the following episode. And then after that, we'll jump to either Malibu or uh, Wildstorm, and then we'll eventually do one uh, episode on the um, IDW series. So mm. just to kind of give us a flavor of uh, all the different takes of the Star Trek comics sure. over the 40-plus uh, uh, years. So that's all we got. So Excellent. Hopefully somebody stuck around and listened to the whole thing. This was a long one. We got to work on gravity. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. We welcome you to join our website, stcomicbookreview.com, where we'll have synopsises and links to the various postings. Uh, if you wish to email us, you can email us at start comicbookreview at gmail.com or you can befriend us on Facebook. First name is ST Comic, last name Book Review.